Hello and welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Thursday, October 12th, and we start with local news. As nearly 4,000 General Motors employees await the possibility of joining their fellow United Auto Workers as part of the union's ongoing nationwide strike, Spring Hill Mayor Jim Hageman commented on how it could negatively affect workers and the city's economy as a whole. The national strike, among a few states now in its fourth week, has been a looming possibility when it comes to the 11 million square foot Spring Hill plant, the largest in North America. And while the concerns have mainly been a demand for fair pay, retirement, and other benefits for workers, another concern is how such a strike could adversely affect families, businesses, and other facets of the local economy. For our city of Spring Hill, we value 100% the partnership as corporate citizens that GM has with the city and the union that supports them, Hageman said. Any kind of work interruption on that scale when the whole union goes on strike is significant to not only the workers, but their families as well. Because when they go on strike, it's no work and no pay. They get a $500 a week stipend, but compared to what they are used to, it's going to hurt them in the wallet, and we don't want that for them, he said. Mayor Hageman also addressed the effect of a strike on the local economy regarding workers who shop, dine, and spend money in Spring Hill. They eat, shop, and play in Spring Hill, so if they go on strike, especially for a long period of time, that's tax dollars and revenue generators that are not coming into our coffers to provide the things we need to provide for, Mayor Hageman said. The city's dependence on GM employees to remain at work could also affect the city's overall budget, which includes things like city workers' salary pay, utilities and infrastructure needs, as well as capital projects pending. He also addressed GM suppliers who might be out of work with no union backup. It's things like funding our payroll, paying our debts to have in capital projects, things like that. Also, the people that supply GM in Spring Hill, they don't have a union and only work when GM is operating. So if it's shut down, then it will affect them as well, and they don't have a stipend pay just to get by, he said. Even though each week since the strike began has not resulted in Spring Hill joining the picket line, preparations have been put in place in the event the local UAW 1853 chapter is called to action. This has included coordinating efforts between the city and UAW, as well as local law enforcement, nonprofit groups, and other entities to ensure safety and public service to strikers and their families. Our encouragement remains the same, and we have met in the preceding weeks to try and keep public safety, Hegeman said. We have established, with the union mainly, five places in the city where people can strike. We will provide barriers and visuals for passing motorists. If they do go on strike, we ask them to please be in compliance with the plans everyone agreed to so they are as safe as possible. GM and our local UAW have been a staple and a mainstay in our city for decades, and we have always honored them and will continue to do so. We just hope for the best and a quick resolution, he said. After the contract expired on September 14th, the strike has now expanded to about 25,000 workers at 43 facilities across the country. The latest plants to go on strike were Chicago's Ford Assembly Plant and General Motors' Lansing Delta Township Assembly in Lansing, Michigan. The last time the Spring Hill GM plant went on strike was 2019, when tragedy occurred after a picketer died after being struck by a car. The latest update is expected to occur on Friday, which has been the case weekly since the strike was initiated in September. 
Columbia Power and Water Systems presented the Columbia City Council last week with a request for up to $40 million in funding to expand its water treatment plant, as well as a new raw water intake and other system improvements. The request was made during the Council's October 5th study session and was only a topic for discussion. No action is expected to be taken until the Council holds its regular meeting uh, today, October 12th. According to a slideshow presented to council members, CPWS is seeking to build five new pumping stations, two one-and-a-half million gallon capacity storage tanks, and over 25 miles of water mains as part of its long-term program. CPWS's long-term expansion plans call for a new Duck River intake capable of drawing 32 million gallons of water per day, 16.5 miles of raw water transmission lines, and an expansion of the current water treatment plant's capacity by 12 million gallons per day. Currently, the plant is capable of treating 14 million gallons of water per day, according to the city's website. As part of the presentation, CPWS told the council that each month of delay adds an estimated $1 million to the project costs, and that without the expansion, CPWS could have to stop issuing water availability letters. The council will also take up on second reading of a proposed $20.9 million amendment to the city's 2023-24 budget. The majority of that amount is carried over balance, is, is carried over balances in capital outlay projects, $1.7 million in Iron, the Iron Bridge Road project, $1.324 million in renovations to Fire Station No. 1, and $6.752 million for work on U.S. Highway 31 and 412. Also included in that budget amendment are various rebudgeting of funds not received by the end of the previous fiscal year. Also on the Council's agenda are the acceptance of street and drainage improvements in the Baker Landing, Taylor Landing, and Valley View subdivisions. Another resolution will dedicate Columbia Fire Station No. 3 in memory of the late Barbara McIntyre, who was Columbia's first female vice mayor from 1974 to 78, and later the city's first female mayor starting in 1990. McIntyre passed away in 2016. The council will take up first reading on a proposed rezoning of 7.49 acres at the intersection of Honey Farm Way and Nashville Highway from a PUDCEG, or Planned Urban Development Commercial Enterprise General, to CD4C, which is General Urban Corridor Character District. The concept plans reflect restaurant and retail uses and was recommended for approval by the Planning Commission in September by a 3-to-1 vote. If approved, a public hearing and second vote will be held in November. The City of Columbia is delighted to announce the latest addition to the Finance Department, Jamie Owen, as the new Assistant Finance Director. After an inclusive interview and selection process, Owen was selected for the position. In her new role as the City's Assistant Finance Director, Owen is responsible for planning, directing, and overseeing the day-to-day operations of the Finance Department. The Finance Department team includes four personnel involved in accounts payable, purchasing, fixed asset management, risk management, and payroll. In addition to the day-to-day oversight, Owen will play a key role in assisting the Assistant City Manager, Finance Director with budgeting, financial reporting, and special projects. Owen holds a bachelor's degree from Martin Methodist College and her certified municipal finance officer's designation, demonstrating her commitment to education and her dedication to her field. With a background in both the public and private sectors, she boasts nearly a decade of experience as the finance director for the city of Shelbyville, Tennessee, and also the city of Fayetteville, Tennessee, where she acquired invaluable knowledge in governmental operations. 
During her extensive career, she also served as the finance manager at Morelli and many years at Newell Rubbermaid, lastly serving as senior cost accountant, showcasing her versatility in various financial roles. Assistant City Manager Finance Director Thad Jablonski stated, We're glad to bring Jamie aboard the finance department. Jamie's experience, knowledge, and expertise will be well-received as the finance department begins the implementation of new finance and accounting software. Jamie is a great fit at the City of Columbia, and her professional background lends itself to the department's commitment to excellence. I do not doubt that her leadership will contribute to the continued success and progress of the department and our community, he said. The Spring Hill Board of Mayor and Aldermen voted to approve the Urban Growth Boundary, or UGB, map in Williamson County to send for approval. By a vote of 8-1, to with Vice Mayor Kevin Gavigan the lone dissenting vote, the board approved the initial map plan for the area east of I-65 and an amendment to the northwest section of the map to eliminate most of the land north of Barker Road. Both citizens and Alderman Matt Fitterer called the northwest corner approval a compromise that leaves both sides a little unhappy, but is fair. Urban growth boundaries are designated spaces of land outside of the current city limits of a municipality that could reasonably be utilized for future development. In order for a city to have the ability to annex property in the future, it must be inside the outlined UGB. What a UGB does not do, despite comments from both citizens and elected officials, is prepare land for use without the consent of the landowner. We have absolutely no ability as a city to annex property without the property owner's consent. We have donut holes in the middle of Spring Hill where county residents utilize our roads, utilize our public services, utilize our parks, utilize our library. They get first responders from us through mutual aid, Fitterer said. If we had the ability to force annexation, we would have annexed those donut holes years ago. We would have annexed GM years ago, he said. We haven't done it because we can't. This is not a pathway to annexation. State law doesn't allow it. Williamson County District 2 Commissioner Judy Herbert spoke during the most recent meeting as a representative of residents in the proposed map. They're not complaining about what you want to do with other citizens' property, only their own. They want to remain rural in the county. They feel like Spring Hill is setting them up to take their property for eminent domain to build an airport and roadways, she said. Eminent domain, however, is a moot point if a property isn't located within the city limits, but can still be used by other agencies if necessary, no matter where the boundary lies. When the state widens Duplex Road, which is a state road, and when the state widens Lewisburg Pike, which is a state road, they'll use eminent domain whether that property is in a UGB, city limits, or anything else. Eminent domain has nothing to do with this conversation, Fitterer said. During his comments, Fitterer hearkened back to a pair of attempts by the city of Spring Hill to bring a standalone emergency room to the city that was met with resistance from Williamson County. In both occurrences, the paperwork filed by Williamson Medical Center was the state and with was with the state and with the courts, stated that providing medical services in Spring Hill was unnecessary and would negatively impact their business, Fitterer recalled. Back in 2006 and in 2010, the county had an interest in protecting their economic investment, their hospital, and they were willing to deny Spring Hill Medical Services in order to do so, he said. I look at this as largely protecting our economic investment and the $80 million we're putting into roads, especially connecting the interchange to U.S. Highway 431. I don't understand why the county thinks it's appropriate for them to protect their investment, but inappropriate for us to protect ours, he said. 
According to Fitterer, the city has annexed only one and a half square miles of land in the past 20 years, with most of that coming from land around Battle Creek Schools, Northfield, and Ripa Villa. Both Fitterer and Alderman Vincent Fuqua noted the criticism the city has taken over the years for poor planning. Much of it deserved, Fitterer conceded, but said this is an opportunity for the city to be able to plan ahead in the event future landowners have different viewpoints. I hope that every single one of your properties remains in your families. The cattle is raised, the corn is grown, swapped out with soybeans every year, and the growth that we're planning for never occurs, Fuqua said. We have been scrutinized on planning, and my option is, A, just in case the city can plan and blend out. It's not my goal to say a shell station or a shopping mall will be on your land. This is to plan for 20, 30, 50 years down the road that you as landowners sell that to a developer so that we can react and say what that's going to look like and have some integrity behind it, he said. Alderman Trent Linville added, Growth is coming to Williamson County. What we have to decide is if we want to react to the growth or plan for the growth, he said. Columbia's historic Nelson House Hotel is set to undergo an exterior renovation with plans to eventually turn the 1828 building into a boutique hotel. During its September 20th meeting, the Columbia Historic Zoning Commission unanimously approved a request by property owner Brian Peterson to repair and restore the exterior west wall of the building located at 704 North Main Street. This is the second request to renovate the historic building within the last year. In September of 2022, the board approved a similar proposal, but the work was never finished by the applicant. Our plan for this property is for this to be the gem of downtown Columbia, Peterson said. We will be doing a $3 million-plus renovation of this property to restore it into a seven-room boutique hotel, a fine dining restaurant on Level 1, the back parking lot, Of the property, which is now all asphalt, will be a botanical garden when we're done, and the left side parking lot will be a ceremony garden with beautiful landscaping structure, he said. According to the project description, the operation would include exterior repair and restoration of the west wall by cleaning, tuck pointing, and sealing existing brick. The description also states the need to remove and reinstall bulging bricks, which pose a safety issue. I've seen buildings in the past that have had the same issues, and we certainly don't want that building to suffer suffer any further damage, development services planner Robert Archibald said. I think it's imperative that this be brought before us and to have a structural engineer involved as well, he said. Peter said funding for construction has already been approved while he awaits a formal letter of financial support from the Tennessee Historical Commission. We hope to close on the construction loan, give or take, at the end of October and start as soon as we can. Peterson said of the first phase of the project. We'll start the first half in November and on the front exterior project so we can get that taken care of before the weather changes, he said. Peterson said he expects to complete the first phase within the next six months, after which he will apply for a certificate of appropriateness for the full project. We have every intention of starting the day after we close on the construction loan. Hopefully have it completed by the end of the year, he said. Our goal is to fix the front and by the end of the year, jump straight into the project. The Nelson House is one of the oldest buildings in Columbia's downtown historic business district. The federal-style three-story building served as an inn throughout most of the 19th century. Pleasant Nelson sought Nathan Vaught, the master builder of Murray County, to construct the building. It was considered to be the most fashionable place to stay and dine in the 19th century. Tragedy has also taken place in the building in 1838. William Hawkins Polk, brother of then Speaker of the House James K. Polk, 
killed Nashville lawyer Richard Hightower Hayes following an argument at the inn. Drama took place again in 1863 when Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest killed Confederate Lieutenant Andrew Gould during a dispute. The City of Columbia is inviting professional artists to submit their qualifications for the creation of public sculpture installations to be permanently displayed outdoors in the Columbia Arts District and in historic downtown. Those public sculptures serve to inspire further development of the arts, culture, and tourism in, tennis, in, um, in Columbia. Copies of the solicitation are available at 700 North Garden Street in Columbia or by contacting the purchasing agent at 931-560-1580. Sealed qualifications are due no later than 2 p.m. on Monday, November 6th. Join Columbia Fire and Rescue for Fire Safety Day this Friday. It's taking place on October 13th from 1 to 5 p.m. at Firefighters Park, located at 1000 South Garden Street in Columbia. There will be free popcorn, fire truck tours, fire extinguisher training, and more. And now your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mr. Philip Andre Galinas, 62, a material handler for Landmark Ceramics, died on Monday, October 9th. A gathering of Mr. Galinas' friends and family will take place on Saturday, October 14th from 5 to 7 p.m. at Town Coffee in Mount Pleasant, Mr. Galinas' favorite coffee shop. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years. As years go by, people may tend to forget just what a funeral is really all about. At Oaks and Nichols, we believe it's first and always a special remembrance of someone you love. We start by listening to your needs and desires. If you're unsure, we can help gently, professionally. At Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, we haven't lost sight of why we're here, to serve Murray County families in the ways they prefer. And why Matt and Susie Sowell believe the way to honor tradition is with especially personal service. We believe your traditions, your customs, your rites of passage are very important. But we also believe in taking care of your personal wishes as well. At Oaks and Nichols, we try to do more than just the expected things. So the service you receive honors your heritage and is uniquely yours. And we invite you to experience the difference. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors. 320 West 7th Street in Columbia. Since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern middle Tennessee weather, we will have a mix of sun and clouds today with a high of around 80 degrees. Winds will be out of the east at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, we can expect some passing clouds and a low of 56. Winds will be light and variable. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. Family first. (laughs) My dad used to tell us that all the time. But family first wasn't just something he'd say to us. It was how he lived every day of his life. And it's how I try to live mine, too. At Shelter Insurance... Our agents are dedicated to helping provide personalized auto, home, and life protection that puts your family first. For auto, home, life, or business insurance, see Shelter Agent Tommy Hyde Jr. at 388-2009. 
Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole bar. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high-quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the drywall that somehow isn't. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Hello, this is John McEwen with McEwen Group Real Estate, located at 17A Public Square in beautiful downtown Columbia. Our family has over 40 years' experience selling farms, residential, recreational, and all types of real estate here in Middle Tennessee. Check us out online at McEwingGroup.com or on Facebook and Instagram at McEwingGroup, or give me a call today at 931-628-1749. McEwingGroup, land is your legacy. And now the best man. Uh, I was going to plan this speech out while I got my oil change, but I went to take five and it was a lot faster than I thought. So here it goes. Okay. Tim, you were my first friend. Angela, you were my first. <laughs> yeah, I never thought the two of you would make it, but I guess love really is blind. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean in a good way. At Take 5, your oil change is faster than you think. Take 5, the stay-in-your-car 10-minute oil change. Your home is your biggest investment. Getting the most for it when it comes time to sell is important. At The Way Realty, we help you get more by providing all our clients with a full-service real estate company. At no extra cost to you, we help you prepare your house to look its best with home staging, landscaping, professional pictures, marketing on all the major websites, touch-up repairs, and home inspection repairs up to $700. Get more with The Way Realty by reaching out to us to see what we can do for you and to find out the market value of your home. Visit us today at thewayrealtytn.com. Call us at 931-580-4669 or stop by our showroom at 800 Hatcher Lane, Columbia, Tennessee. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7. This program is sponsored in part by George Vrelis and the great team at The Way Realty. I'm Tom Price. 
and now news from around the state. The Tennessee State Building Commission is set to give the nod for $200 million in state funds to construct a new Tennessee Performing Arts Center at Nashville's East Bank, moving out of the building at the corner of Dedrick and Sixth Streets in downtown. Funding for the project, which is a key ingredient of Metro Nashville's East Bank effort and $2.1 billion Tennessee Titans Stadium project, is included in the state's fiscal 2023-24 capital improvements list. State officials have been angling to move the Performing Arts Center for at least two years. It's an integral part of former Metro Nashville Mayor John Cooper's vision for the east side of the Cumberland River. TPAC was founded in 1980 and operates in the James K. Polk Cultural Center across from the War Memorial Plaza. An analysis of Metro's project by the Fallon Company shows the 20-acre tract contains areas for office space, TPAC, and parking, which led to a reduction in the number of housing units to 745 from 1,500, only 200 of which would be considered affordable housing. Advocates for affordable housing have opposed the former mayor's East Bank plan because of the lack of space for affordable housing. New Mayor Freddie O'Connell, who opposed the Titan Stadium project, is charged with handling a project he didn't support. The Building Commission will also consider approving the start of work on a $130.4 million renovation project for the old Library and Archives and Supreme Court building next to the state capitol. The current state budget contains $7.3 million for the job. The state will use a construction manager general contractor, which will be involved in design because of the complexity and historic nature of the project. In addition, the commission is to consider approving the early design phase of Lindsey Nelson Baseball Stadium renovation and expansion at the University of Tennessee Knoxville, at a total of cost of $95.8 million. Some $85 million is to come through the Tennessee State School Bond Authority, and $9.3 million is coming from gifts to the university. The 45th annual Fall Tennessee Craft Fair returns to Nashville's Centennial Park on October 13th through the 15th at the Great Lawn near the Parthenon. Event hours are 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Friday and Saturday and 10 to 4 p.m. on Sunday. On Saturday and Sunday, visitors can park in the HCA lots on Park Plaza and catch the free shuttle that runs in 15-minute loops. The popular demonstration tent will feature local artists from the Clay Ladies Campus, the Tennessee Association of Woodturners, Louise Nuttle, and more. Appalachian Center of Crafts' new mobile glass unit will allow visitors to see live glass blowing. The kids' tent provides opportunities for young fairgoers to make their own artistic creations to take home. Artists who are just starting out in their craft careers will be featured in the Emerging Makers Tent, an opportunity in which mentors shepherd emerging artists through the craft fair process, from setup to chatting with patrons to selling their work. Go to www.tennesseecraft.org forward slash fall fair for more information. Let's take one last break. When we come back, we'll cover the final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today. Hey, this is Derek Ransom with Ten Pin Alley, voted number one family entertainment center in Murray County. We offer 32 bowling lanes, giant arcade, laser tag, bumper cars, and a full cafe and bar menu. We also specialize in group events, kids and adult birthday parties, company parties, sports team parties, and holiday parties. We're located at 322 East James Campbell Boulevard in Columbia. Call us today at 931-381-BOWL or visit us at 10pin.com. Ten Pin Alley, it's where the good times roll. 
Turner and Osborne Tire Company, 1016 South Main Street in Columbia. Give them a call at 931-388-6822. They've been doing business since 1947 and in their current location since 1964. They provide the best tire and mechanical work at some of the best prices in Middle Tennessee. Hey, they're official Michelin and Goodyear dealers, and they've got all kinds of brands as well. Stop by and see Walker Vining and his professional staff or check them out online at turnerandosborne.com. That's turnerandosborne.com. Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today, and now our final story. Calling all little ghouls and goblins, Spring Hill's third annual Spring Hill Police Department City of Spring Hill Trunk or Treat is returning October 28th. Trunk or Treat starts at 5 p.m. at Fisher Park. This year will be bigger and better than ever, and Spring Hill Parks and Recreation will be back with another A-game and epic adventure experience. Watch the hilarious and heartwarming film Hotel Transylvania under a starry night sky. Bring your blankets and cozy up for a fantastic cinematic experience starting at 7 p.m. That's all for this edition of Southern Middle Tennessee Today on Kennedy Broadcasting, WKOM, WKRM Radio. If you ever miss a part or all of this broadcast, you can listen to it anytime or read the transcript online by visiting frontporchradiotn.com. It's always there for you. I'll be back tomorrow to update you with the latest news. I'm Tom Price. Thanks for listening. Be safe and have a great day.